Time for heavy petting, as it is every Wednesday from 10 a.m. until 11 with me, Leanne Mole, and we talk about everything from dogs and cats and domestic animals to animals of the sea, um, more especially about uh, rhino conservation, conservation in general, and just some interesting facts and guests. Um, sometimes our guests are of the four-legged type. Today we have a guest of the two-legged type, but he's all about the four-legged types. It sounds confusing, but we'll get there. So, yes, he is the teenager with the most YouTube views in South Africa. He is the 15-year-old who started the Kruger Sightings website. Also today on Heavy Petting, a Cape Town beach to test a controversial shark-repellent cable. Uh, also, the heartwarming story of Kharki the rhino and Lummi the petty lamb. They've become besties. Uh, more on Safari Group Singita's massive strides in conservation. We also feature another of the world's most intelligent dog, dog breeds, and we take a look at how tumor surgery went for a pet goldfish. Yes, you heard me right. I'm not kidding. So let's get right into it. Um, we are very, very happy to have in studio with us 15-year-old Nadav Driver. Is that how I say it? Yeah, Driver? that's how you say it. Uh, what, what breed are you? <laughs> so uh, I think I'm a human. Uh, but with the surname and name. Um, so my, my grandfather came from, uh, Netherlands, so I think that's where Austin Driver comes from. Ah, uh, uh, Yeah. <laughs> very good. Okay. So let's, let's just introduce you. You yesterday found out something that you didn't know about yourself and you had no warning of. It was a big surprise. You yeah. have been named South Africa's social media star of 2014 at the SA Social Media Landscape 2015 Research Study Conference. And that was uh, launched by these very clever people at Fuseway and also Worldwide Works. We actually had um, Arthur Goldstuck in from Worldwide Works uh, in studio on Gareth Cliff's show in the morning just the other day doing amazing stuff. And he's just known all over South Africa and in the world for his work on social media. So... You didn't know you were the social media star of 2014, did you? Yeah, I mean, it was a complete surprise for me. I, I knew he was going to mention me about my YouTube channel, but I had no idea about the actual award. And it was, uh, you know, it was a huge honor to be able to get it. Your YouTube channel, tell me about it. It's Kruger Sightings. I've seen it before. I've watched tons of stuff off of it. And in the back of my mind, I thought, geez, the site's amazing. Well, this channel's amazing. Um, it must be run by a whole team of people, a whole group of adults, um, who've got a lot of resources and an entire team working with them. And it's really professional and great. But it was you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so basically, I mean, you know, when I was 15 years old, I've always uh, loved wildlife. And I wanted to, you know, to share people's experiences and also wanted to do it live, you know, so it would help people actually see more animals. And um, what, what, what we learned is that people like to, to share photos and videos. And the videos that we got... We used to share them and the best place to share them was YouTube. And, uh, since then, you know, so many people are sending in videos all the time and, you know, our viewership has grown to over 70 or 1,000 subscribers yep. on YouTube. In fact, I'll tell you, you're over 72,000 subscribers oh, as, of, as oh, of this morning. <laughs> wow. Thank you. I mean, that's, uh, you said it, it grows so fast and it's really amazing to, you know, to, to be able to watch how, how fast it grows and how many people are really into wildlife. 
Yeah. And, um, you know, the videos that, that people send in are amazing. And, uh, the best where part. Are they, where are these videos from? Are they from? So most of them tourists? are from Kruger uh, and yeah, from, from tourists just going in or from guides, you know, that work there and, mm. you know, have a lot of amazing experiences. But, uh, most of them are live. Most of them are like a day old, you know, when, when we upload them. And that's, the, that's what makes them amazing and why people really are interested because it happened, you know, this morning. This lion killed this buffalo this morning, and here's the video. And yeah. I think that's what what really drives people to watch it. See, there's like a live element as well on on the channel. Um, yeah. Is it a, a webcam or something like that? Yeah. So that's basically what LadySightings.com is about. It's about you know sharing live experiences and live sightings. And uh, on, on for people who live in America, you know, all over the world, and can't go to the Kruger that often, we have live webcams for them, and basically. On these live webcams, it's a waterhole where animals can come down to drink. And um, on, on these live webcams, they've also had the most unbelievable sightings. I've watched, you know, a few leopard kills happen live, you know, from my wow. house in Joburg. And, you know, we've had leopards, lions, you know, wild dogs, and all of this live. And if you're in America or, you know, anywhere in the world and you can't go to the Kruger, you can actually watch it live. You know, and what the, the Americans are going to think that this is what's going on in our backyards, right? Yeah, so I mean, we, we've had a few comments like that, and we've, you know, we've, we've, we have pointed out. Is that, that your pet cheetah? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, we, we have, uh, you know, told them that this is the game reserve, and it's the only place where it actually can happen. But, uh, you know, it's amazing to see the community built up just around the, the live webcams itself. So, you have obviously been to the Kruger Park, and have you had to go more often since you started this venture? So I don't know if I've had to go more often. I've already, uh, I've wanted to go more often. I've always wanted to go, you know, every day, but because of school, it's been hard. And especially this year in matric, you know, I've, I haven't, I've only been able to go three times. Last year, I went every single month and that was because of the community and later sightings, you know, people giving me trips or, you know, just we've, we've been able to go so much more. And, you know, I love it. I love being able to, you know, to, to also meet a lot of the members and, you know, just have a, have amazing sightings. Your dad's here. You arrived with him and he's very proud. He's, he's glowing like a nine month old pregnant lady. Yeah. And, um, he's extremely excited to see what's happened. And now is, is he the type of dad who thought, what is my son doing in the basement of the house sitting at his computer the whole time? He's never going to have a life. So, yeah, I mean, when I was 15, I didn't really tell everyone so about not, it. How old are you so now? I'm 18 now. 18 I'm in my trick now. So okay. I, when I started when I was 15 and, uh, you know, it was during the December holidays and a lot of people were on camp, you know, so my friends weren't even around during that time because I didn't go that year. And, um, you know, when I had this idea, when I, when we just came back home from, from a trip to the Kruger and I had this idea and, um, you know, I just, you know, I wanted to make an app, an iPhone app and we, I didn't have a Mac at that time and, you know, I had to borrow one. So my friend then uh, lent it to me for three weeks. And in those three weeks, I literally did not leave my room. I just programmed. I looked on YouTube and Google how to make an iPhone app. And yeah. within three weeks, I mean, I remember the one time uh, I was programming. It was like, you know, five in the afternoon. And next time I looked, it was like two in the morning. And, uh, wow. you know, I was so obsessed. And I, I don't know what my parents thought. I thought maybe they thought I was crazy, you know, just being on the computer the whole time. But I'll never forget, like, you know, getting the first sighting, you know, someone reporting their first sighting. And, um, you know, I was screaming around the house. I was so excited. Yeah. And my parents also they didn't really know they what was going on. They probably didn't understand that, that like, much. Yeah. What's, what's the sighting? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but then I explained. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget. Also, my uncles were like, wow, I think I think you've hit on something. Because, I mean, we were getting 70, 70 hits to the website, on, you know, in the first week. And I was so excited. And I'm sure, like, most of the hits were, were probably from me anyway. But, mm. uh 
you know, then we, you know, then we really thought people were starting to go more often and we were using it. And uh, I think then, you know, the support, you know, continued. And from the beginning, my parents supported me and my whole, my whole family yeah. supported me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I think they might have thought I was a bit mad, like programming the whole time and for and what. I have you, have you tried to talk them into, um, not being at school anymore? Are you like, <laughs> well, look at my successful business. Who needs school? <laughs> so I get that a lot, but, um, you know, I've, I have to finish school. I don't think my parents would let me drop out. And, uh, I also Good. don't want to, um, <laughs> I mean, like, I've got a, like two months left, so I'm thinking I'm gonna just hold it out. How does it, how much and time does it take of your day? So it does, it, t- it takes a lot, and um, it used to take even more, cause, you know, it wasn't automated, so I had to literally during break, or sometimes even during class, update sightings, you know, on Facebook, and on WhatsApp, and on the website, and um, you know, it used to take a lot of time. Cause this isn't just, I mean, you started with YouTube, but yeah. now you've gotta, you've gotta, Network yourself over all the platforms. Yeah, now it's a, it's a community of over 120,000 people and all sharing their sightings. And, you know, in the beginning, we we're only getting like maybe five sightings a day. So it was easy to just do during break. But now that we're getting so, so many sightings coming in, you know, I can't do it by myself. And, you know, so it's a bit more automated now, mm. you know, just having on the app and, you know, Facebook pages and stuff. Yeah. But, um, so, and now I've got a lot of help from, from my actual team. You know, we've got a lot of people You've working. You've got a team? Yeah, so now we've got a lot of people, not a lot, just like, you know, a few people working, you know, just making sure the sightings are okay and, you know, building the community and YouTube and stuff like that. And so it has taken a lot of pressure off me, uh, mm. you know, while I'm in the trick. But, um, are you, you know, are you making money off of this? So we, we are a bit, we, we, you know, through YouTube and, you know, other revenue streams, mm. but, um, you know, we're still building it up. It's only been, you know, around for maybe two and a bit years. So, and the first year I was, I was not interested, you know, I, I kind of just wanted to, to get sightings and help people, you know, with their trip in the Kruger and see more animals. And, yeah. uh, but now, you know, now that there are a bit of investors and stuff, you know, the making money Ooh, is, uh, is, uh, you know, a priority <laughs> kind of thing. So, yeah, we are, we are trying to. Um, and okay. So you've got plans to take this on further and further. Do you you think it's going to be something that you do for years? I I hope so. I mean, so far, you know, it's grown so fast and only in one game reserve. And our plan is to, you know, to hopefully go from just Kruger and Petersburg, you know, Mm. to all over the world and, you know, see where that takes us. And also in terms of, you know, conservation, I mean, just in Kruger, we've saved so many wildlife. There's so many endangered wild, wild animals. How have you done that? So because it's live, you know, people, people report injured animals. So like wild dogs, you know, it's one of our biggest projects, you know, with, we run, we, we run with the endangered wildlife trust, the EWT, and they run wild dog projects, ground horrible projects. And whenever we get a report of these, of these animals, they keep it in a database and, you know, they can see statistics, but also a lot of these animals get snared, you know, mm. by, by snares in, in, in the random places in the bush. And, um, and when we get these reports, because vets and rangers in the Kruger um, are part of the app as well, they get these notifications live and they can go immediately and wow. save these animals. And I mean, we've, we've saved so many wild dogs, lions, leopards, just because of people sharing their sightings. And otherwise, you know, those animals will be stuck somewhere and no one would have known. That's fantastic. So, I mean, so yeah, I mean, and we're hoping, we're hoping to, to expand that to mm. tigers and bears, you know, in America. And so, what about rhinos? What, is, so what rhino, are your experiences? So rhinos, we've also saved, uh, you know, a few, but uh, we don't share rhino sightings. So, you know, when, because of the poaching, we don't want to hold poachers with statistics of where rhinos are. 
and stuff like that. But again, if people see injured rhinos there, they would either SMS me, you know, privately or, or rangers that they know and they'll hopefully, uh, you know, go and protect those rhinos. But, uh, that's one thing that we've never ever shared, even from day one. We've never had a rhino sighting on, on the website. Um. Now, okay, what are you planning to do after school in terms of studying? Are you going to do it? So next year, I'm hoping to take a gap year and maybe work somewhere in the Kruger or, oh, you know, man, and that focus. Would be amazing. Yeah. And I mean, I've always wanted to and, you know, focus on later sightings as well. But then I want to go to university. Uh, I'm not sure which one yet. You know, I don't yeah. know which one will accept me. And then, you know, hopefully study maybe conservation and maybe business management. You know, yes. some, something around that can help me with later sightings. You know you're going to have to move out of Joburg, hey? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I'll see. I, <laughs> Although I, you've again, done it very successfully from your own home right now. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, just me in my room, you know, kind of running it. But again, now there's a team, so thank goodness for them. And yeah, and yeah I mean, I don't know. I haven't really, like, you know, put on thought about it. Well, you know? that's what a gap year is for. A gap year. Yeah, um, so I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah, that's brilliant. So um, are you involved? Did the Kruger Park contact you at all through all of this or did you contact them so um after a while like i think after a few months when they when you know sandpox themselves realized this is you know also getting big and um they we had a meeting with them and they i mean they're supporting it they they don't really endorse apps like they don't say that they support apps mm-hmm. um, you know but uh i mean they're really into it it's also helped a lot of conservation and tourism for them i mean we've had so many um so many people from america you know, coming and booking to Kruger just because of the sightings. And, oh, um, and it's amazing to see how many people just, you know, go to the Kruger because of the app. And also because they, they, they more, they more willing to spend money because they know they'll probably see more animals. And mm. that's why a lot of bookings have been made. And, you know, so I'm sure they're grateful for that. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, you're, you're, you're an asset to them. So I'm, I hope I'm so. glad <laughs> they do know about you. Yeah, so I mean they do. I mean, uh, you know, I've met with them a lot, and mm. you know, they really they keep up to date with uh, what with what's going on with later sightings. Yeah, oh, it's amazing. Um, it's just yeah, a fantastic story, Thank and you. um, I think the whole of South Africa is very proud of you. That's Nadav Osendriver, who started the Kruger Sightings website at the age of fifteen. He has garnered 80 million YouTube views to date, and as you can hear, is doing amazing stuff for conservation and attracting tourism. You could maybe be South Africa's next tourism minister. How about that? I'll I'll, I'll see. Maybe. (laughs) Stay out of government, maybe. Might be a better idea. (laughs) Now, Dove, thank you so much for joining us. And please keep us updated on on what you're doing. It's really, really interesting. Very cool. Thank you. Okay, so um, that was not an animal in the news. It was a human in the news about animals. But more animals in the news is um, the fact that the National Zoological Gardens in South Africa and Pretoria has had to take up major security measures um, and increase them in the wake of two robberies committed in its proximity. So there have been quite a few crime-related incidents um, involving visitors outside the zoo. And so the zoo spokesperson, Craig Allenby, says they are putting measures in place to avoid any possible further incidents. So these are, you know, normal human crimes which are taking place outside the zoo, nothing that affects the inside of the zoo. And uh, I'm sure that we'll get to speak to them about that and see how that's going. Um so this is this is something uh, that quite a few people have been speaking about on social media platforms, and uh, that's a ten-year-old pet goldfish. I didn't know they lasted that long. Gosh, mine always seemed to have died after a week or two or something like that. Always stories of people battling to keep their goldfish alive. Well, this little guy is ten years old, and um, he had a rare tumor um, on his brain, 
and has undergone surgery to have it removed. I mean, this is a woman who has grown so attached to her pet goldfish um, and his company for several years that the entire family there in Australia, in Melbourne, decided they were going to do everything they can to save this fish. They found out he had a tumor. His name is George, by the way. So off George went to a vet to to undergo this tumor-removing surgery instead of being put down. Now, the operation went really, really well, and um, apparently it's added another 20 years to his life, which is quite something. Um, uh, As they say, the operation went swimmingly. Uh So, yes, let's hear from Buzz60 on uh, a little bit more about the story about George the Goldfish. Expensive surgery to extend the life of a beloved family pet isn't unheard of, unless that pet's a goldfish. Hi guys, I'm TC Newman for Buzz 60. Surgery on a goldfish? Yeah, it can happen. George the Goldfish from Melbourne, Australia, was having trouble swimming, according to his owner. Dr. Tristan Rich diagnosed the 10-year-old fish with a tumor, and rather than flush away, the owner went for surgery. How do you perform surgery on a fish? First, George was knocked out with an anesthetic, and in order to keep his gills wet during the surgery, he had a tube of oxygenated water with a maintenance dose of anesthetic in his mouth. The medical team had to work quickly to remove the large tumor on George's head while he was sedated. To close the wound, doctors used four sutures and tissue glue, which is usually used on human patients. According to the animal hospital, George was swimming along soon after. Dr. Rich estimates that the $200 surgery extended George's life by another 20 years. Who knew goldfish lived that long? Buzz 60, now you know. Pass it off. She's thinking like I did. Who knew goldfish lived that long? Okay, it's time for a new slot on Heavy Petting today called Sea View, uh, where we talk about everything from sharks to whales to squids to fish and um, conservation around that as well. Big story in South Africa right now and being watched by, by the world is that Cape Town is to test shark repellent cables along its beaches. It's actually in a specific part of Cape Town. It's um, at Glen Cairn Beach, uh, which is in Simonstown. And uh, this cable is being put up by the KwaZulu-Natal Sharks Board, um, and they're going to begin testing this electronic shark repellent cable from next month in an attempt to prevent future shark attacks. As we know, that uh, part of the country is um, very susceptible to shark attacks, and um, it's, uh, well, I mean, it's us in their in their environment, of course. So it's not that there are big, more attacks. It's that we're in their environment a lot in that area. So this cable will emit a low-frequency pulsed electronic signal, which is known to repel great white sharks. Um, and now from News 24, we've got the story. Um, they spoke to the board's CEO, Tokozise Radebe, and uh, this is what he had to say. of the KwaZulu-Natal Sharks Board, Tokozizi Radebe, is joining me on Skype. Now, the KwaZulu-Natal Sharks Board has just announced that they are going to be testing an electronic shark repellent cable right here in Cape Town. Now, this is to offer an alternative solution to repelling sharks from our beaches. Tokozizi, thank you for joining us. Why don't you tell me about this electronic cable? It's, it's, been a, it's actually a culmination of a very... It's been a long journey, long time coming, because we started with this some years back, and we've, we've sort of gradually moved from uh, the traditional nets that we used to use 
to the drum lines now to to the shock repellent cable. If you look at uh, section four and five, I think it is of the Guazul Natal Shark Sport Act five of two thousand and eight. It actually enjoins us to to continuously look for alternative ways of protecting the bathers with a minimal environmental impact. So this is a culmination of many years of research, and we're quite chuffed and excited that uh, we've come this far. We've actually covered three milestones. This is milestone number four that we're going to be going into uh, next month on the 1st of October to try and test this against the great white sharks. And if it works against the great white sharks, we have every confidence that it will probably work against the other shark species as well that are considered to be dangerous. I'm talking about the Zambezi, otherwise known as the 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 the, 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 the bull shark, as well as the tiger shark. Now, what's the technology behind this? How does it work? It's very simple. It, it works through electricity. So the first milestone was whether or not you can take electricity to water because your common sense and what we were taught as kids is that uh, water and electricity don't mix well. Guess what? The water and electricity do mix and they mix very well. So we needed to, once we established that, the second point was then how much is good enough to repel the sharks without necessarily frying up people. Because uh, first, you must look to not do any harm. Second, to have a minimal impact on the environment. So the answers that we have so far is that, yes, a certain amount of, of electricity can be successfully and safely taken to the, to the sea water, and it, it could repel the sharks and uh, without necessarily putting human safety at risk. Now, the only thing that we need and that we're going to be trying to establish is to collect a data uh, between the next six months from October to May, April next year, so that if, it, if the majority of the, the sharks turn back when they start sensing the electricity wave in the water, then our, 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 our suspicion that this thing is effective against as a deterrent against shark attacks would have been proven correct. As I say, um, it's something that the world's watching at the moment because it will be used worldwide and uh, there are already talks with Australia to implement it there. Let's hear a little bit more about it. Is this cable going to be something that, that is visible? Are we going to be able to see it? No, no, no. It, it, it won't be visible. It will be the permit that we have from the city of Cape Town to start with this pilot project specifically specifies that it can't be obvious to the public. So it's going to be in the seabed. It's going to be awkward and anchored into the seabed through the anchors that are specifically designed for this purpose. And also the team from the Quasnatal Shark Sport as well as from IMT, Institute for Maritime uh, Technology in Salmonstown in Cape Town, will be there 24-7 as long as the, the deployment is, 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 is ongoing. In other words, throughout the period of the testing period, there will be people there I'll to make sure that there are no entanglements, uh, either with the vessels as well as with people that are swimming, either surfers or kai cars or, or, or skateboarders. Okay. Now, you mentioned that this technology is going to be tested in Cape Town starting on October 1st. How long, how long is this testing going to take Six months. Six months. All right. And it's not, it's not really the, the, the period that determines it. 
the reason why we're saying six months is because we want to be able to, to, to gather as much data as possible. And the specific pitch that we've chosen in Cape Town, uh, Glen Cairn in Town, is because we are aware through the shark spotter program that has already been going in Cape Town of the, 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 the maximum activity of the great white shark specifically. The water quality is good. Our camera, the video camera that you're going to be using to record, is on the Ice Peak uh, Mountain there, which is about 321 uh, meters above the sea level. So you can see clearly, and the water quality in Cape Town obviously is, is better than our own here in Kaiser and Coastland. Those are some of the reasons why we've chosen uh, Cape Town, specifically Glen Cairn, as a testing uh, 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 area because of all this. It ticked all the box effectively. Now, should it pass the test um, in KZN, do you hope that this will replace drum lines and nets? That's the ultimate uh, 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 rationale behind it, madam. And also not only to sell it to KZN, obviously, because this is one product that is developed by South Africans for South Africans, but also for the world. Because as I say, if we find similar beaches elsewhere in the world, we would go there to test there. And also, if we if we get the the the, 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 the great the other sharks species elsewhere in the world where the activity is much high, so that you can get accurate results. If that is in Australia, we would go to Australia and test there. If we get the permit to work with the Australians, we can go to Brazil. We can go to the States. We can come to some of the Guadalupe beaches as well, where our 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 project will be able to be validated. Well, obviously, a lot of environmentalists have raised concerns about this um, uh, new project, and uh, some of them are saying that this electronic shark repellent cable might kill sharks. Well, Khadeba has explained, and uh, this is what he had to say. Now, conservationists have spoken out against the KZN shark board when it comes to the use of drum lines. And, and nets, they say that these, these things can ultimately kill the sharks. Do you, do you have a response to these conservationists? Well, we welcome their opinion, madam, because this is a free country. But what I can tell you, and that's precisely the reason why we've consulted so widely in the past, and we continue to do that. I'll have you know that uh, today we had a launch here at Sharksport, but we also have a similar exercise in Cape Town in the next couple of days, where... At which, at, at which forums the, these environmentalists are, are most welcome, as any other stakeholder for that matter who has an interest in, in what we are doing. There's no actually facts in, 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 in saying that uh, the KwaZulu Natal sharks, but through this shark repellent technology, is killing the sharks. Precisely for the reason that we're saying the current methods that we're using do have a negative impact of killing, among others, as I said earlier the stingrays, the dolphin, and the whales. That's precisely why we need to have this kind of test where none would die. Simply put, would repel as opposed to kill the sharks. So if I were the environmentalist, I'd very much support this program with the proviso that says that's precisely why we want to stop the killing of sharks because when this thing has been taken through all its uh, natural stages, the idea behind is that there shall be no killing of sharks or any other marine living resource for that matter because it will simply be repelled away from having to make contact with the humans who are, who are swimming in the beach. That's the whole point. As we continue our Sea View slot here on Heavy Pacing, remember you can give us a call if you'd like on 0861 You can also tweet me. Uh, 
at Leanne Mole, that's L-E-I-G-H-A-N-N-M-O-L. And, of course, you can message us straight to studio on WeChat on the Cliff Central channel. So, yes, continuing Seaview, um, a humpback whale was freed just a few days ago in St. Francis Bay. Um, the humpback whale had become entangled in rope and buoys in St. Francis Bay. That's in the Eastern Cape. And uh, the National Sea Rescue Institute's Craig Lambinon says this, it was a juvenile whale, about 10 meters long, and uh, it was found 33.3 kilometers offshore on Monday afternoon. The whale was found to be entangled in three loops of rope around its um, caudal peduncle at the tail, and it was being held buoyant by a flotation buoy while appearing to be anchored to traps at the end of the line on the ocean floor. Quite technical, but uh, the Rescue Institute did get um, people into the sea, and one cut using specialized whale disentanglement equipment went straight through the two ropes and freed the whale. And the whale swam off appearing to be happy and healthy and diving confidently, and uh, I'm hoping that it was a successful operation because of that. Uh, another thing to think about when we when we look at whales is, of course, creating a whale sanctuary. That's something that's on the cards. It's called the South, South Atlantic Whale Sanctuary, and it's being put together by the International Whaling Commission, or IWC. They're debating a fresh attempt to create this sanctuary in the South Atlantic, and uh, it's obviously being thwarted by pro-hunting nations for years now. So this proposal has now been tabled by Argentina, Brazil, South Africa, and Uruguay. It requires 75% of votes to pass at the Commission's 65th session, and that's taking place at the moment. So let's hear what will what, happen to that. Um, I'll keep you updated. Um, still under sea view, we've got a story about a colossal squid, which has scientists all very excited because scientists say that this female colossal squid is going to be able to give them a rare glimpse into how squid, which are still pretty mysterious um, to scientists, operate and how they function. And uh, they're very excited about this. This report from AFP explaining that. So, yes, as we know, colossal squids sometimes inhabit the world of fiction and imagination. This animal um, has eight legs, as we know octopuses do. They're about a meter long each, and um, the animal was actually frozen in a big bulk of the water, and the scientists have now started defrosting this water. The animal is half alive, um, and it doesn't seem like the animal would have survived anyway. So they're now extracting the animal from the sea, where they'll start determining whether to preserve it for public display. So a rare victory as we move on to our Help a Horny Friend segment for rhinos is that Mozambique has logged a rare victory against poachers. Very exciting news from Mozambique because six suspected poachers have been arrested on a vast wildlife, wildlife reserve in Mozambique. And uh, this is rare good news in a country where elephants and other species are under extreme threat. So the suspects were arrested shortly after midnight in a house near the Nyasa Reserve. They faced charges including illegal possession of firearms and organized crime activity. A very good, heartwarming story coming up after we take a little break. Um, and that's the story of Kharki, the rhino, and Lummi, the petty lamb, who have got together, and they've been put together after quite a few um, attempts to find a partner for Kharki, 
or a companion in this case. And uh, we'll speak to Adine Ruud, who's the managing director of the Hoodsprate Endangered Species Centre, when we come back on Heavy Petting. Heavy petting on Cliff Central, as we are here every Wednesday from 10 until 11. And um, we uh, received we received a message on WeChat. Thanks very much to Hichu, 
Hugo Kruger, or Hugo Kruger, um, depending on if you're English or Afrikaans. Hugo is Afrikaans. He admits that. He says, isn't it octopuses? It's it's not octopuses, though. He says, it's octopi, is it not? He says, I'm Afrikaans, so excuse me if I'm wrong. Well, I hate being wrong when it comes to this stuff, so I looked it up. I did say octopuses, and uh, I'll tell you that there are three plural forms of octopus. There is octopuses, which doesn't have a double S in it. There's octopi, you are correct, and octopodes. Um, so currently, octopuses is the most common form in the UK as well as the US. Octopodes is rare, and octopi is often objectionable. Well, this was a mouthful, but anyway... So we'll stick to octopuses, but I'm very happy with octopi. Thanks very much for your message. Okay, it's time now to uh, go on to a story that I've been very excited to hear about this week. Um, we're going to be chatting to Adine Root, who is the Managing Director of the Hoodsprayt Endangered Species Center. She's on the line right now. Thank you very much, Adine, for joining us here on Heavy Petting. Um, now, we, we've, I've been following for a little while the story of Gherki, who is a little rhino whose mom was um, uh, killed. And uh, your the centers, uh, you know, who've been trying for so long to find a companion for Gherki. And it's not a rhino companion you've been looking for. It's been a sheep companion. Adine, please explain to us what is going on here. Uh, good morning, and Thank you so much. Um, what we basically, we um, usually do have like a sheep. That's like a, a mother, a surrogate. Um, for, for the rhino, um, basically to lessen the handling by humans um, of, of, the, of the rhino. But it also, you know, well, somebody, you know, also it's like a companion for him. Um, I mean, he did lose his mum due to a poaching incident mm. that we also, you know, hear from so, so often. Um, and I, I think, you know, so that was basically, we just had a little battle with a, a sheep um, for Gharki, as we had an older mum. But she's quite attached to the little zebra, Zika, that we also have um, at the centre. So she wasn't very keen on taking Gharki along. And then we had an, a, a second sheep, which was very attached to humans, and unfortunately, um, still too small. So, yeah. unfortunately, we lost her. And then we got a third one, Lamy, that is now Gherke's companion. And following Gherke around wherever he, um, he goes. So, the, the other way around, Gherke not following the sheep, but the sheep following Gherke. Oh, so, they spend a lot of time together. And, yeah. So, this isn't, this isn't something unusual, pairing um, sheep with other animals. Um, as you've just mentioned, one of the sheep was um, more interested in a zebra. I mean, who would have thought a zebra and a sheep? Then we've got zebra and rhino. Um, I saw on my on my DSTV channels the other day that there's a program coming up, which I need to record, called An Elephant and a Sheep, which is a story about an elephant and a sheep companionship as well. So what what is it about sheep? Um, you know what, I, th- I think it's just, um, it's also not all, all kinds of, you know, um, sheep species, if I can say that. There's quite a, a, a variety of, you know, sheep. Mm. Um, however, um, uh, with, with the, 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 just coming back to the elephant and the sheep, we also had a little, jo- uh, Jabulani was his name, but an elephant that we hand-raised. And we also had a sheep with him. And I think it is just for, you know, the sheep is quite... They relax. They're not quite, you know, big because we also tried a calf. 
which we also didn't work. Um, I didn't want to know anything, but I think like you know, she is quite gentle. Um, he comes in life next to Gertie, um, you know, likes his cuddle. So I think it's also kind of a hurt, um, or I can say catalyst also, you yeah. know, part of a hurt. Um, but it yeah. must be something, you know, I think they're just quite relaxed around him as well. And they're, they're just good moms. Um, I'm looking yeah. at the photographs now, my absolute favorite, of Gerki and Lummi. And the two of them really do everything together. It's too sweet. Um, and um, Gerki, the rhino, doesn't show any aggression towards Lummi either. No, no, nothing. I think sometimes, you know, if, if um, he, he does get a, 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 a bit um, over, you know, um, Zealous. Yeah. Yes, and in a ranch, you know, um, our Lummi will just stand to the side. And get out of the way. Um, I mean, Gerti is much bigger than, than Lami. Oh, man, it's just a lovely story. Um, Adine, what else is happening lately at the Hood Sprite Endangered Species Centre? Have you got anything on the go? Do you have any concerns at the moment? Um, have there been lots of successes? What's happening? I must say, um, there's always something, you know, on the go. Uh, we usually joke because you never can plan a day. Um, mm. Things just happen unexpectedly. And we also have two rhinos that were po- uh, poached and their wounds were hacked off. But they survived the, the whole ordeal. Mm-hmm. And um, from, you know, the beginning stage where they came in with, um, you know, their wounds chopped off and just, I want to say, a bloody mess, um, mm-hmm. you know, on top of that. So I got the two specialists involved from Unerstepoort, um and with our local vet, um, we you know, took them through the process. It's now over a year, 13 months. And the one rhino, it was about five months until the whole wound structure was healed. Mm. Um, and the second one we're still busy with. It's basically a hole um, which is not closing up. Um, yeah. you know, so we've got a lot of frustrations. Um, I mean, over certain periods, we had to daughter once a week. I mean, for her, you know, going through a sedation is not good. Yeah. And, you know, it's also very traumatized. Well, she's traumatized, you know, afterwards. And so she's actually also, I can say, scared of, of humans. Um, which we always work on her kind of. Um, but that is for, for, I think, for the veterinarian side, um, mm. a huge breakthrough. For you know the the future of rhinos, and um, if those rhinos that have been poached, if we can pull them through, yes, um, and just have a genetic pool, you know, to to be able to let the, the rhino species survive, um, that's, so, that's so, huge. That, that yeah. must say, you know, one of the you know the, a very interesting projects, and um, that is an ongoing you know thing that we work with. Yes, and um, and then of course, sure, um, we started off with your cheetah. Um, species, you know, breeding them and we also have wild dogs. But I mean, on the cheetah, you know, just every time you are able to release a cheetah, yes. that's quite a highlight. Absolutely. Um, you know, you do have, unfortunately, less land to, to let them free and mm-hmm. to release them on. But wherever you are able to do that, I think that is, that is one of the, I can say, the loveliest moments. Um, you know, of what you believe in and what you what you do. 
Okay. Undine, thank you so much for chatting to us. Um, I know that you are in the process of traveling and all of that, so I really appreciate it. There's so much that we could speak about, about the uh, Hood Spread Endangered Species Center, so I really hope to chat to you soon. Perhaps you can even pop in for a visit when you're around this side of the world. It was really oh, fantastic to hear from you. Thank you. No, thank you so much, and thanks for, for chatting to you. That's Adine Rode, the Managing Director of the Hood Spread Endangered Species Center, and um, uh, something now that uh, we will look at is we looked at them last week and we will look at them again. Uh, that's the fact that luxury safari brands can no longer function as only that. More and more, these safari companies are playing a massive role in conservation and education. One of these that comes to mind is Singita. This is one group who are making such a difference in many parts of Africa. They're orchestrating an entire network, an inter, inter, interdependent relationship between communities, wildlife, and tourism. And uh, I was lucky enough to meet up with them in Cape Town and spoke to Lindy Rousseau, the sales and marketing director for Singita, as well as Mark Whitney, the chief operating officer for Singita. And uh, this is the latest installment in our little meeting. Where are you finding the most assistance when it comes to these efforts? Which countries really come into the party? Hmm. Or is they, are they all just difficult? They're all difficult. You know, there, there is a surprising lack of political will. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's, a, it's probably the biggest problem of all, I think, in this, pro- in this whole Rhino Horn debate. Mm-hmm. I think that if governments truly took a stand, if they were serious about rooting it out, it, they could do much more. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's very little concern for some reason in, with the politicians. And I don't understand why that is. Um, I know in Mozambique, I've had it put to me that it's very, um, wrong what's happening on the South African side. The poachers are dying. They're being shot by the South African Defense Force and scouts in the, in the Kruger Park. Because it's just an animal. You know, it's a wild animal. Why can't we hunt this wild animal? I mean, I did in one discussion put it to the other party that, how would you like it if South Africans were coming across the border and shooting your cattle? Mm. And he said, yes, but cattle are, belong to us. Those wild animals don't belong to you. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're wild. They're because they're wild. Mm. Yeah. They're so there's a strange... You different know, values. Indifferent, yeah, but, but just an indifference to the whole mm. problem. It's not regarded as a very serious problem. Anymore. I also think that in Africa, African governments, um, their priority is people. So their resource, their, their, you know, their attention is on people and they have got massive challenges that they're dealing with with people. Animals are just, they just don't have the resource to be able to worry about the animals. Mm. And it's why the kind of work that's being done on the ground to educate people in local communities and to get them to understand that there is far more value in preserving wildlife than removing it. Because if you remove it, it's short term, then it's gone forever. If you preserve it, then for generations to come, there will be a guaranteed jobs, guaranteed income, business linkages that are formed as a result of the game being there. Mm. Um, And so although that's a a, a slowish process, um, it has to be ultimately the way the way to go. You know, these these um, poaching or anti-poaching scouts that we employ, who were uh, poachers before, not only do they now have a source of income, which is fantastic, but they also have status in their communities, and I think that's also very important. They, you know, they wear uniforms, they're yeah. trained. And in their communities, they become heroes. They become people that children look up to. They become people that neighbors look up to. And I think that's key. Um, we've had a number of successes with taking people out of the community that were poaching before and have trained them to become things like chefs. 
um, and where they they really do become role models in their in their communities, and where the younger generations coming through start saying, "No, but I'd rather be like that." Where before there wasn't a role model for them, all they knew was you know their grandparents, their parents poached. They, they, they were no alternate role models. So that's you know I think it unfortunately takes longer, but has to be the way way to go. In these and funding for these efforts, are you getting them mm-hmm. from tourism? Tourism funds part of it, um, but unfor- you know certainly the model that we practice as Singita is a, is a very low impact, high value model. So we won't put more than a certain number of beds on on the land. Um, so there is a limit to, to how much revenue you can generate from tourism. What we're seeing now, though, is a much greater awareness by the kind of clientele that we attract, who are all very high net worth individuals. We're seeing a much greater will from from our guests to want to get involved in some way. So the challenge now for us is to, to, to define a model going forward that will help us generate revenue streams um, other than just the revenue you're getting from selling accommodation to help us protect this land for, for, for the long term. Mm. And we, we don't have, we don't have the, the blueprint yet, but we're working on various different models um, to generate revenue and, 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 and sustainable or, or, or continuous income streams. Because, you know, you, the old NGO model where people donated is a risky one because as soon as the donations stop, you know, you, you're shirking your responsibility in that community, in that area, because you can't just withdraw. So it's to try and find models that will, you know, that will have long-term benefit and that will be sustainable over the long term, mm-hmm. um, which is exciting in one way, uh, and but pretty challenging in another, because it's a big responsibility. Yeah. Well, yeah. speaking of challenging, what's it like working with Sandparks? We've been a concession holder on Sandparks land for 10 years now. Mm-hmm. Generally, it's been a good experience. Yeah. I think that I think that the task of particularly protecting rhinos is, is is a tough one, and I think that they, you know, if you've got you've got two million hectares to protect, two point two million hectares to protect, and a very long border with Mozambique, which is difficult to patrol the whole thing, mm. um, you know, we're, and and no no right of follow up because there's always that problem of of, of doing you know cross border follow up. Yeah. I think it's a difficult task. I don't think that we are doing what we could do. And I say we. I'm not talking. I'm not pointing a finger at, at Sand Parks. I'm saying that as a as a as a country, the government should be putting more resources in it. Um, there should be more priority to the whole problem. But but I think that you know Sand Parks have a tough job. Mm-hmm. Well, just recently, the government's announced that they they're going to facilitate a move of rhino um, into undisclosed locations, private private land and private uh, properties and. Um, I, I believe now that they've missed the the window period and they're going to delay it um, because it needs to happen in winter. Um, is this is this something that you think is is going to work? In principle, the idea of moving rhino to more diverse locations, spreading the risk, in other words, is is a good idea. Mm-hmm. The the danger is is that the value of you know the value of rhino horn is so high that the potential for corruption in this process is huge. <laughs> The potential for these rhinos to end up in the wrong hands. Mm-hmm. It can. It, it, I'm. I'm seeing more danger signs than I'm seeing hope in that. Uh, it's heavy petting here on Cliff Central every Wednesday, ten until eleven. That was our doggy style um, little feature, and uh, we now move on to. Sorry, that wasn't doggy style. What am I saying? <laughs> that was our conservation conversation feature. Doggy style now. 
Um, and uh, a little bit of sad news, um, however, still celebrating his life. The tallest dog in the world has died. He was the Great Dane Zeus, who belonged to a couple in Michigan in the U.S. Their names were oh, Kevin and Denise Duerlag. Now, Zeus made his debut in the 2012 edition of the Guinness World Records as the tallest living dog. Try and think about this. At his shoulder height, he was 1.12 meters tall at his shoulder. His head still came up above that. Uh, he died last week from old age. He was just two months shy of his sixth birthday. Um, we remember now that Great Danes don't live for, for many, many years like um, some smaller breeds of dogs do. Um, that was just before his sixth birthday, and that was pretty good going for for a Great Dane. He weighed 75 kilograms, and he ate a 12-kilogram bag of food every two weeks. Whew, lots of food to keep up with. He was a local celebrity in the Kalamazoo area of Michigan and frequently visited local schools and hospitals as a therapy dog. Very sweet. Now, we've been taking a look at um, the most intelligent dog breeds in the world. Last week, we started at number 10 with the Australian cattle dog. Now, uh, the way a dog's intelligence is, is measured is how many times it takes after repeating a command for the animal to catch on and uh, to obey the command. And it looks like it, it, these animals all fit into um, being told a command five times before they pick up what it is and obey the command. So last week was number 10, which was the Australian cattle dog, the 10th most intelligent dog in the world. In ninth place um, is an animal that we featured before, so I'll just tell you that it is the Rottweiler. Um, Rottweilers, we know, are robust, they're powerful, they're happiest with the job, suitable as police dogs, herders, service dogs, therapy dogs, and are devoted companions, and they're also the ninth most intelligent dogs in the world. We move right on to number eight, which is today's doggy. We're featuring a very happy, alert breed that isn't shy or aggressive, known as dwarf spaniels in the 16th and the 17th century. They're really, really little, but very, very clever. Number eight in the world, it's the papillon. Is it possible that this adorable toy breed is actually named after an insect? Who couldn't love a dog with little butterfly ears? Christina Aguilera and Lauren Bacall have fallen in love with the breed's unusual flair. Papillons have been popular for centuries. They were the subjects of painters like Titian, Rubens, and Rembrandt. Papillons are one of the oldest breeds that we know. Originally known as the Dwarf Spaniel, the Papillon may have received its name from Marie Antoinette, who referred to hers as Le Petit Papillon, Little Butterfly. And the legend is that she actually carried the dog with her to the guillotine and the dog was spared its life. Nowadays, the upright-eared papillon and floppy-eared felines can be found in the same litter. Because they have that beautiful spray of hair along each side of them, that definitely is their defining characteristic. Their coat is always multicolored white with patches of another color. It's very, very silky, unlike most dogs where their coat feels like fur. And the Papillon was also named the Squirrel Spaniel due to the similarity of their arching tail. However, despite its cute demeanor, the Papillon is anything but a typical lap dog. They're very smart, have a lot of energy, can go for a long time despite their small size. 
but the papillon can still channel its inner Napoleon. They can develop what's called that small dog syndrome. As long as they can run off some of that incredible energy, this brave breed is definitely able to handle all environments. You can have them in an apartment, but it is important to get them out and to exercise them. With a life expectancy of 16 years, the Papillon has very few health issues. And despite its elegant look, that fine coat won't require too much attention. I mean, Papillons have a beautiful feathery coat, and it really just requires a weekly brushing. If you are willing to put in the time and treat the Papillon as more than just a lap dog, training can be quite rewarding. Sit. In general, it's a good family dog, but can be snippy with small children. So the Papillon is adaptable to both small apartments and large spaces, provided they get enough exercise. They're a very healthy breed, and they require a small effort in the grooming department. Papillons are easily trained, but special attention should be given to socializing them so they don't become aggressive, especially around children. But if you're looking for a small, sociable dog with great enthusiasm and energy, a Papillon could be the compact canine for you. Ah, the Papillon, the eighth most intelligent dog breed in the world. How clever is your dog? Find out if your dog ranks among the ten t brightest breeds. Um, we're taking a little break from heavy petting next week. Um, I'm off to the Seychelles, la di da. Um, <laughs> but I am going to find some news out for you because a Seychelles snail, once thought to have been among the first species to go extinct because of climate change, has reappeared in the wild. It's the Eldebra banded snail, and I'm off to the Seychelles to go and find out what I can find out about this rare little snail. Maybe I'll even catch a glimpse of it. Who knows? So um, no heavy petting next week, um, and we'll be back on, I think it's the 1st of November. Can you believe it already? Um, on heavy petting uh, next Wednesday. Next of next, as I've heard the expression before. So coming up next on Cliff Central, it's Jade with Rookies and Rockstars, and she seems to have about, let me count, 947 guests <laughs> who'll be coming in with her. It's, it seems like there are a lot of people. I'm sure that, that it's going to be lots of fun, so stay tuned for that. Thanks for joining us on Heavy Petting.